Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin ve sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi. So we left off at the end of the chapter on the Quran and its merit. So we'll finish that quickly. Then we'll do the chapter on the Isra and Mi'raj, the night journey and ascension of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay. So by the end, uh, we should, we have today, we have the 8th, the 15th, and the 22nd for basically like the summer. Uh, so inshallah, we'll finish the book on the 22nd. On the 15th, we'll probably do something kind of uh, different for Ashura. So we'll talk probably about oppression and things like that. Read Dua Nasri for Ashura. And then, um, and then we'll come back to the, the book on the 22nd and we'll finish, inshallah. And then after camp, or after retreat, I keep calling it camp. After retreat, then um, we'll start something new, inshallah. Okay, so we, we're going to try to push through. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. MashaAllah. All right. قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى ونفنا الله إياه بعلومه في الدارين آمين. I'm trying to yell. This is my yelling. Because my actual yelling can't last more than like three seconds. <coughs> so I'm try to pronounce or what project, project. That's what the teachers kept telling me. You have to project your voice. I was like, project the screen. Can't project my voice. Alright, لا تعجبن لحسود راحة ينكرها تجاهلا وهو عين الحاذق الفهمي Do not be amazed at an envious person who denies them <coughs> The them is the verses of the Qur'an The verses of the Qur'an from before Feigning ignorance though he has perception and understanding <coughs> So there's two possibilities or there's two levels here so the idea is that there's verses in the Qur'an, the Qur'an's verses are clear. They tell you you should do this, you shouldn't do that. They're clearly from Allah. If someone reads with some level of objectivity, then they will benefit from these verses. But then you have people who don't accept them. So what are the two possibilities? One possibility is that the person actually understands what's being said and they realize that it's true, and yet they still reject it. This is one possibility. That's what's mentioned here in the verse. Uh, who denies them feigning ignorance though he has perception and understanding. And this is kind of like it reminds of the story of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, that when Sayyidina Ibrahim uh, went and broke the statue and the people confronted him and they said, did you do this and so on? And he said, no, the big statue did it. You should ask him. And they all looked at the big statue and for a second they realized we're wrong. The big statue is not our God. For a second they realized it. And then they decided to do something else. And this is, I think, a really important um, idea. It's a really important idea. That we have these moments in our lives. Where something is true and it's in front of us. It's not always as big as Abraham and the idol. Right? Or, or his people and their idols. It could be something that's not as big of a thing but we still have a choice that's in front of us like, okay this is true i can accept that it's true oftentimes it has a little bit of pain that comes along with it right sometimes the truth hurts there's a little bit of pain 
but I could accept that it's true and put things in their right place and things will move forward. Or I can say, you know what? I'm just going to like, I'm just going to put this one on the side and ignore it and forget about it. But that also has consequences because it, it changes now our ability to perceive reality. We start to justify, it starts at one thing, but in other things too. Then I don't like this, so I reinterpret it. I don't like that, so I take it this way. And I'm not talking about like text and stuff. I'm talking about life events. You know, maybe you have like, I don't know, a job or something that you realize I shouldn't be in this job anymore. And you're like, no, I'm just going to make excuses and keep doing it. But then you re- like, you're not maybe fulfilling the trust of the position or whatever else it might be, right? Like, uh, hmm. I know someone who was working as an imam and he was taking shura from another imam about his job taking his advice and stuff like that and when the other imam listened to him he heard him talk about the work and everything else and he told him you can't do this job anymore you have to leave like you just like the way you're talking about it if you're talking about it like that you can't do this work anymore you have to do something else right so it's not there's a truth now that's in front of you like what am I going to do about it right and the truth, sometimes it will come to us multiple times. One of our teachers, he said that the truth, when it first comes to you, it, it comes like a mountain. It's very clear. It's very clear this thing is true. And then if you grab it and you hold on to it, it stays with you like a mountain. But if you let it go, then it'll go away and it might come back. But when it comes back, it won't come as a mountain. It'll come as like a little building. And if you grab it, it'll stay as a building. Or you let it go and it goes. Then next time it comes back, it comes back like, you know, something small. But the point is each time, like your conviction about it, your way of dealing it with, will it be different? So this is one possibility. The other possibility is that the person really just doesn't understand, right? They just, they, they didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't realize that something was there. And this is, of course, a lot in our lives, you know? We, things are in front of us, but we don't, we don't recognize them for good or for bad or whatever else they might be. And, um, and this is like we, we say all the time that our understanding of perception as Muslims, our understanding as perception of perception is that it involves the mind and the heart. It involves the mind and the heart. Someone whose heart is not being tended to, their perception will be affected by that. So the most extreme example is Fir'aun. Fir'aun said to his people, وَمَا أَهْدِيكُمْ إِلَّا سَبِيلًا رَشَادٍ He said, I'm only guiding you to the path of truth. <laughs> he's, it's like he's convi- he has conviction. He has conviction about what's wrong. And this is really, you know, like it's a, it's a very basic lesson in Islam, but it's really important. And the lesson is that intentions are not sufficient. Intentions are really good. They're really powerful. They're really important. But intentions are not sufficient. Someone could have a really good intention and do something that's totally wrong. You know, they're taking advantage of someone. They, they justify it maybe in their head in all kinds of different ways. You know, but in the end, what they're doing is not actually sound. And this is, this is a, a, a corruption of our capacity to perceive properly, to understand properly, to come to correct conclusions. And so in order to do that, our mind and our hearts need to be developed. 
You know, one of the challenges, I think, of the Western school system, it has, of course, many positive things. But, like, in Islamic studies, for example, one of the first subjects that you're supposed to study is logic. Not because, like, the, the point is you can't study anything if you can't think properly. So, <laughs> in, the, in the Western system, you're supposed to pick this up along the way. It's... It works. It, sometimes it works. If you have a good teacher, they will teach you how to think properly along the way. They'll say, okay, this was correct. That's not correct. Why did you come to that conclusion? You see there's a slight difference here. It, wasn't, it, was, almost, it was almost a sound conclusion, but it wasn't quite sound. There's a little difference here, so on and so forth. They'll teach you those things. But if we don't actually learn that, it's very difficult to reason properly. You know, a, and you don't have to go further than Facebook. Facebook, you read Facebook for five minutes, you'll see all kinds of thought patterns and conclusions that if you really sat with them, you're like, like there's no progression of the idea here. There's pieces missing. And then there's a conclusion made. And then that conclusion is used as a piece for other conclusions, right? So now you have like a whole thing that gets very convoluted. Anyways, and then the heart has to be dealt with. We may find this in our own lives, right? Like even in the, in the old books of, like no one's free from this stuff. In the old books, I always say that, in, especially in hadith criticism, you have to be careful when you're, accept, when, you're he, when you're listening to the opinions of two contemporaries about each other. Even in, like in Islamic studies with scholars of hadith and so on and so forth, people who did amazing things in their life, whatever, when they talk about each other, you have to be a little bit careful. Because this one, he might be a little bit more critical than he would normally be because that's his competitor you know like yeah they're doing good things but that's still you know like that's that's the that's the imam of the neighboring masjid and we share a community like really seriously you have to think sometimes like my analysis maybe is not maybe i'm a little bit harder on this analysis right now than i should be because it's personal at some level right so we have to be careful a little bit about this one of the what so what are the ways to deal with it number one we actually learn how to think properly <laughs> as it is a field it can be studied and then it can be practiced uh, and then number two we work on our own personal development and number three is we keep people that we trust around us not because they not because they agree with us not because they agree with us but because we trust them we trust their integrity we trust the way that they they think we trust especially their integrity and their 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 capacity their cap capability right because then these people will bounce things off us we don't want to end up in a place where like i only talk to people that i agree with because if i only talk to people i agree with then like i'm just going to get further and further in my hole maybe maybe i'm i'm, I'm missing something right uh okay next verse for the eye when inflamed may be averse to the sun's light and the mouth when ailing May loathe water's taste. This is, I think, one of, one of my favorite lines in the Burda too. Assalamu alaikum. Because it's very beautiful. It's a very simple concept, but it's very beautiful. What does it say? It says if the eye has something wrong with it, even if it looks at something beautiful, it's not going to see it right. And if you're sick, even if you taste something that tastes good, you don't, it doesn't taste good to you. Right? It's true, right? Like someone, someone, 
nothing has any taste to me anymore. They try to eat it, they try to eat it. Everything they eat doesn't have any feeling to it. Maybe they're not physically sick, maybe they're emotionally sick too. Some people when they have depression, they don't have any desire to eat anymore, right? Because it takes away from the flavor of the food. So does that mean that the food doesn't have a good flavor? No. Because the person now doesn't have the ability to recognize it. And this is like very simple when it comes to what we're talking about here, but it's actually like I'll give you a, an example of this that I think is very uh, apparent for us, even if we don't want to look at it sometimes, is that in living where we live and being exposed to the things that we're exposed to, our understanding of what beauty is, is very distorted. Our understanding of what success is, is very distorted. So, you know, like someone could be very beautiful. They could be very physically beautiful. They could be very, uh, their character could be very beautiful. And none of that is attractive to us. Because something else is really beautiful. We think it's beautiful. It's not actually beautiful. It's just provocative. This is not the same. Uh, they're not the same thing. Okay. Uh, something, maybe it looks really beautiful, but it's actually fake. You haven't seen the real thing, so you don't understand. Right? And there's many, many cases like this. Like a lot of... Uh, you know, in the Muslim community, it's very common for people to, and this is maybe a little bit controversial, but it's very common for people to come up to people like me and be like, you know, we appreciate you. You're one of our scholars and stuff. I'm not a scholar. If people think I'm a scholar because everyone, like, in the, in the, in the what do they say? In the, um, in the valley of the blind, the, one and, the one-eyed man is king. Right? In the valley of blind, the one-eyed man is king. In the valley of the blind and the deaf, the person who can hear and is still fully blind, they're king. <laughs> Forget the blind in one eye. Like there's, like because the, the comparison is not there. Like when you when you meet someone who's actually a scholar, and I'm not talking about just someone who can use big words and stuff. That's usually now like in in contemporary young people life. This is what it means to learn something: is if you can use the right words. You know, you have all the right words. You can talk about the patriarchy and you can talk about whatever else it might be, which they may be real or not real issues, whatever. That's not my point. My point is just to be able to use the right words doesn't mean you actually understood something. That's just like this is the very basic level. And then add on top of it that usually the words that we're using, we call them plastic words. Why? Because we use them. We don't actually know even what they mean. They're not defined. Like, what, so what do you mean when you say that? Nobody knows what you mean. So now we're like, you know, but, but the, the reality then gets distorted. This is the point, right? The reality gets distorted. I'll give you another example. It's a funny one, but like, there's, there's some things that you think about them that you're like, subhanAllah, it used to be, um, let me think of something. Uh, air condition. Air condition is an interesting example, right? So we get like used to air conditioning. So now I'm very accustomed to my home is always going to be between 72 to 74 degrees. When it's cold, it's going to be a little bit, you know, whatever this way, 72. And then when it's hot, it's going to be 74. And I don't leave from this ever. So then I go outside and it's 80 degrees in the shade. And I'm like, man, it's so hot. I can't handle this. Is it really actually that hot? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like maybe if you're accustomed to living in the snow then yeah, it's really hot. But then someone will go and they spend time somewhere that's 100 degrees. Same person. 
They'll go spend time somewhere that's 100 degrees, 110 degrees. They'll come back to 80 and be like, it's so nice. So the perception is really interesting thing. We have to really, like, it's extremely important. Another place where this comes up oftentimes in the community is the idea of the community. You ever thought about it? Like, the idea of the community, whatever this nebulous plastic word is, only comes up when we're upset about something. Why is it that it's always this way in the community? In the community, it's always like this. Like, so what is the community? Like, are we talking about, because like the community that I'm usually interacting with is not, I don't usually have that issue. So what, it, what is it exactly? Is it defined by like this space or that space or this institution or that institution? Or what is it? Like, do I even understand what I'm saying when I'm using this word? Because then what happens is now like, and does it even reflect reality? It might not even reflect reality. It reflects like my personal experience. But maybe it's not everyone else's experience. So the, these, perception is a very fascinating thing. So the, sun, the eye, when inflamed, it may be averse to the sun's light. And the mouth, when ailing, may loathe water's taste. I was supposed to go fast. We have to finish this thing. Chapter 7. Al-Isra'ar wal-Mi'raj. The Prophet's miraculous night journey and celestial ascension. The intention is to go faster through this chapter because we covered it in the session when we read the text on the night journey and ascension. If you, if you uh, weren't in that, one of the things that we have on the SoundCloud page for the Medjlis, other than all of the classes, or many of the classes, is um, a playlist for uh, different maqra sessions that we had, when you just read a text. So one of the things that we did on Isra and Mi'raj is that we just read the text of Sayyid Muhammad ibn Alawi al-Maliki on what is the story of Isra and Mi'raj. So now in like this half an hour thing, you get the whole story. And we did it also in, uh, I forget, a couple other things we did it on. You can look at it. So this has already been covered largely. So the intention is not to spend a lot of time on it. I can't guarantee that I will. Intentions are not sufficient. يَا خَيْرَ مَنْ يَمَّمَ الْعَافُونَ سَاحَتَهُ سَعْيًا وَفَوْقَ مُتُونَ الْأَيْنُقِينَ رُسُمِي O best of those to whose courtyard seekers turn to, hastening on foot, or the backs of strong camels. So now he turns. He talked about the Quran, right? Now he turns his attention to talking about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam again. In the spirit that the Quran is the most. I have to be careful how I say this. The Quran is the most amazing miracle of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But as he's going to say in this chapter, but what is the actually the most amazing miracle? is the Prophet And uh, what some people will say is that for the, for the Arabs especially, the Qur'an is the greatest miracle. And for the non-Arabs, the Prophet is the greatest miracle. Right? But in any case, these are technicalities, whatever. The point is, the Prophet he, he directs now his discourse to him. O oh, best of those to whose courtyard seekers turn to. So he's, this is referring to the Prophet ﷺ. That there is someone that the seekers seek. Who is that someone? That someone is the Prophet ﷺ. Those who are seeking God, they seek the Prophet ﷺ. And they travel to the Prophet ﷺ. This is one of the, one of the places that's good to travel to, right? 
is the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, and to go there and to visit him and to say As-salamu alayk ya Nabi Allah, As-salamu alayk ya Rasulullah to make dua so on and so forth and to, to walk in these places where the Prophet وسلم, walked to be in the lands where the Prophet وسلم, lived to breathe the air of the city where he, where he breathed, where, where, of the air that he breathed to see the mountains that he saw وسلم, to go to the mountain of Uhud and look at the mountain of Uhud and think about the battle that happened, but also to think about the saying of the Prophet ﷺ that the mountain of Uhud is Jabalun Yuhibbuna wa Nuhibbuhu. That is a mountain that it loves us and we love it. So th- this is an act of worship itself to go to these places. So he's saying, Oh, you who are the best uh, to whose courtyard seekers turn to, hastening on foot or on the backs of camels. It's narrated about many people. He says, on foot or on the backs of camels. It's narrated about many people that even if they travel in whatever way they travel to the city of Medina, when they get to the city of Medina, they go by foot. Right? So it says about Abu al-Fadl al-Jawhari, he journeyed to Medina and neared its houses. And when he did, he climbed down off his mount and began to weep while singing the following lines. When we saw the traces of the one who left our hearts, so enamored that we couldn't recognize the traces or the bricks, we dismounted and walked out of honor for the one for whom we mounted beast for travel. That's beautiful if you catch it. It's beautiful. He says, We came to the city of Medina. We got on the animal to travel to come to the city of Medina. And when we got to the city of Medina, we got off of the animal that we got on it for him in the first place. Now we get off the animal and we walk by foot out of respect for him. It's said about Imam Malik that he would always walk barefoot in Medina. He would walk barefoot in Medina. I said, what are you, what's going on? He said, I'm, I don't want to like have a shoe on my foot and walk somewhere the Prophet walked. This is how they, they, they looked at this place. So he's now calling towards directing his uh, discourse to the Prophet Something important to think about with poetry is that with poetry, you really have to try to picture the image. And picture the image. And the image also is born out of a feeling. It's accompanied by a feeling. So when you read the line of poetry, you have to get the image and you have to get the feeling if you really want to get the poetry. Okay? This is why when I was reading this section, I was thinking, you know what would be interesting is if someone did an artistic explanation of some of the lines of the Buddha. So like you draw somehow a picture for this. I don't know how you would even draw it. I'm sure there's ways that really talented people could do it, right? You look at this line and you sit with the line and you just kind of like meditate on it and you start to imagine up the images of people who ride on their animals from wherever they rode from especially historically I mean you have to think Hajj is the journey of a lifetime historically you get on a camel you leave for months you don't know if you're going to go back to your family right you you travel through all these lands and you go all these places and you imagine these people coming and the experience and so on and so forth and then you try to put this in a picture somehow and you know but this is how now because if you want to understand like what is he trying to do with the poem he's trying to take you into that world that's that's what art does right art is not art is not a uh it's not like a math equation although there could be art in that too i'm not trying to say anything bad about math 
ومن هو الآية الكبرى لمعتبر ومن هو النعمة العظمى لمغتنم O greatest of sign for those who contemplate O supreme grace for those who seek to gain So now again this is directed to the Prophet He says the Prophet is ayat al-kubra li-mu'atabiri The one who's, who's really thinking about it The Prophet is the greatest sign And, and you know like when you really read about the life, uh, you know, how do I say? Some of the things that we do, people like. They always say that the. Kullu ina'in yandahu bimafi. Right? That every vessel pours what is in it. Every vessel pours what is in it okay so sometimes when we're studying something when we're reading something it may not be immediately we may not see its immediate relevance we may not see like okay why am i studying the life of the prophet so i send them again why why because our vessels have cracks in them so we pour this we pour the life of the prophet so i send them into ourselves even if they didn't have cracks we also fill ourselves up with a bunch of other stuff Whatever is like the most popular song and whoever has the most views on TikTok and this most viral video and all these other things are like filling up our vessel all the time and it pushes something else out. And so we have to put more of the Prophet ﷺ in there, more of the Hadith in there, more of the Qur'an in there. Why? Because eventually something will happen, even if we don't see it right then at that moment. Something will eventually occur in our lives and in that moment we will pour. And whatever it is that's inside is whatever is going to pour. So if everything that was inside was like, whatever, you know, you can think about whatever, fill in the blank for yourself. Everyone has their own things that they pour into themselves. Is the response going to be the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Or is the response going to be whatever thing I binge watched on Netflix most recently? Because now that is what's dominating my psyche and my, my heart and my mind. So that's why we keep pouring stuff in. When it says he's an ayatun kubra li mu'atabirin, one of the reasons why memorization was so important in Islamic studies is because the goal of Islamic studies is not to be able to pass some exam. Right? The goal of Islamic studies is for this knowledge to reform the person. The knowledge cannot reform me if it is not part of me. This is why they memorize it. It's not just because, like, oh, all these. We're so, like, and this is what, think about it. What I said about how we perceive things The heart affects how we perceive things We have self-confidence issues And we're arrogant So what do we do when we look at the Islamic studies curriculum That emphasizes memorization Instead of trying to see some sort of benefit in it We say oh look at this backward system It's just rote memorization Such a dummy thing This is how we end up being dominated by the West And so on Like okay let's just analyze 200 years of history 500 years of history And some like passing comment by a 25 year old I mean, like this is, this is, there's an issue here. It's not, it's, it's not sound. The method is not sound. It wasn't just they memorized things so they can be like, you know, because they didn't have computers, but now we have computers, so I don't need to memorize anymore. No, I memorize it, so what? So that when I go and I interact with a situation, I know what to do. I have manluma. I have like a qaida, ilmiya. There's a foundation of knowledge that I can base my life on. I want it to be part of me. 
So yeah, is it a problem? I read the seerah over and over again. I read the life of the Prophet over and over again. No, it's not a problem. Why? Because I want it to be there when I need it. I want it to be there when the moment comes. And now I have to pour something out. What am I going to pour out? No, he says he's the greatest sign for the one who reflects. The person cannot actually reflect and realize the greatness of the sign of the Prophet if there's not a certain amount of understanding of the Prophet that is already inside of them. You can't reflect on it. I mean, what are you going to like stare at the book and be like, I'm going to reflect on the whole thing right now? No, it has to be inside of you. Right? You can't reference it. You can't like, I'm going to do some reflection based on my referencing. <laughs> it's not going to work that way. It has to be inside of the person. And who has the greatest blessing for the one who is seeking to gain? <coughs> There's many different ways that you could look at that. One of the most important ways to look at that and that the, is, is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is he holds in his hands Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam a shafa'at al-udma he holds in his hands the great intercession that he intercedes for whoever he wants from his ummah and he tells Allah like please forgive them please forgive them please forgive them so what is like the strongest handhold that a person can hold on to is to be close to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam such that when, when that time comes I'd rather depend on the mercy of the Prophet and his love for his people then I, would, then, I prote- then I depend on my own deeds like I'm too lazy to pray sunnah of Aisha sometimes I'm going to depend on my own deeds or I'm going to depend on the mercy of the Prophet Sarayta, now he gets into it so the first part is to get into the, the point what is the point? Sarayta min haramin laylan ila harami kama sara al-badru fi dajin min al-dhulami You journeyed by night from sanctuary to sanctuary as the full moon travels through the pitch black sky. So now he's talking about the Isra and Mi'raj, the night journey and ascension of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. In short, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is in Mecca. <coughs> he is awakened by Sayyidina Jibril alayhi salam. Sayyidina Jibreel takes the Prophet on a journey riding the Burak from Mecca to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the Prophet leads the other Prophets in prayer. Then he ascends to the heavens. He passes through the various levels of the heavens. At each level of the heavens, he meets a different Prophet. Eventually, he gets to the furthest point of the heavens. And Sayyidina Jibreel tells him, I can't go any further. And then uh, the Prophet ﷺ goes himself and has discourse with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Glorified and exalted is he. God gives the Prophet ﷺ 50 prayers for his ummah. The Prophet ﷺ goes down. He meets Sayyidina Musa It's actually an interesting point here I never thought of before. Sayyidina Musa says, your people are not going to be able to handle 50 prayers a day. Go back, ask Allah to make it less. And the back and forth happens. What's interesting is that Sayyidina Musa, he's able to understand this point. Why? <laughs> you can say it, say it. It's not like a... Um, we're not in the movie theater. <laughs> like, you can talk. Um, because he understands he's dealt with the people. He's dealt with the people. This is really important. Sometimes you have people who are giving you advice or they're trying to under, you know, speak on an issue. They never dealt with the people. This happens like in the world of Islamic work, this happens too. 
you might have some like very senior scholar or whatever it might be someone's very respectable some, so on and so forth but they're distanced from actually dealing with the people so they give you an advice they don't understand like okay if i do that there's going to be consequences of that that you don't actually catch because you haven't dealt with the people in the same way Sayyidina Musa he dealt with the people right so he tells him go back you have to ask for less back and forth the prophet so send them eventually allah tells him there's five prayers <coughs> people always ask questions why couldn't it have just been five from the beginning why does it why 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 whenever we ask why we just need to make sure we ask the why of the angels not the why of shaitan there's different whys right the why there's a why that's istifham there's a why that's istinkar there's a why that's trying to understand and there's a why that's rejecting and like being uh, obstinate right argumentative there are different whys you know why did allah do this he's allah like we can start there someone sent me a question about this actual issue actually today i think it was today might have been yesterday whatever but it says it started with who and then started asking about this prayer and like why was it this way and why is it i said the answer to the whole thing is to answer the who <laughs> if you answer the who forget everything else you don't have to worry about it it's allah who did it if allah i mean allah allah knows what he's doing i hope we believe that much if we don't then we need to go back to that lesson it's okay. If actually we're not, if we're not okay with that, it's okay. You go back to that. I have to go back to like, why do I believe in Allah in the first place? But if I believe in Allah, then I, then I just want to understand. It's not about rejecting it. Too many side points. Hasbunallah wa ni'man You went from, from haram to haram at night, the way that the moon travels through the sky in a pitch black sky. So the sky is super dark and the moon travels, right? Goes... This is you traveled like that, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You're like the greatest light, and you traveled through this night, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's beautiful imagery. And you went from Mecca to Jerusalem. Haram ila haram. These are sacred places. Also, it's important, I've said it before, it's important to make the connection in the terms. And it's important to, as much as we can, to learn the Arabic language. We don't have to. Uh, don't beat yourself up, self up over it. Don't hurt yourself over it. If you have limited time, don't probably make it your first priority. But the Arabic language, language is a big deal. Language is a really big deal. And we say this over and over again, that once you start using someone else's language to analyze your situation, you already lost. Because now you entered into their world. The, the world is defined by the words that are used. Okay, the world is defined by the words that are used to describe the world. So if you all of a sudden using someone else's language for everything, you entered into their worldview. Okay, so it's a bigger conversation. But if you think about it, especially for college students, you should think about this. Think about the plastic words. Think about what words do for worldview. And be careful the words that you adopt for everything that you do. We don't have to use, like, there are other words you can use. For example, when we were in college, we dealt with social justice issues all the time. We had none of the current language around social justice. It was very simple. It was like, these people are oppressed. They should be helped. These people are in, in, in poverty. And the systems don't, like, the, we, we didn't have the system even concept. I don't remember it, at least. But there's a, not that it's not there, not that it's not true. Sometimes the words are important because you want to be able to, analyze things too 
But just know that like when you use someone else's wor- word that they defined, now you, le- you gave them the power of definition. Okay? So on haram, to, you're going from haram to haram. It's why the Muslims always learned Arabic. Actually, the debate on whether you can even translate the Quran to a foreign language is relatively new. Like Muslims spoke Persian for a long time, right? If I'm not mistaken, the first person to translate the Quran into Persian was Shah Waliullah Dahlawi, or somewhere around there. We're not talking about that long ago, several hundred years. In the, in the world, in the realm of 1300, 1400 years, right? So, because why? Because once you translate things, you, you lost a lot. The other, things the, Mus- the other thing the Muslims would do is they would write their local language in Arabic script. You can do it, right? Because the Arabic is perfectly phonetic. So we could write English in Arabic script. If we wrote English in Arabic script, it gives some community and also it makes it so that everybody can read Arabic. So everybody will be able to read the Quran. Right? So like Malay was written in Arabic, Turkish was written in Arabic, East African languages were written in Arabic. All of them, they weren't Arabic. They're just, they just use the script. It's an identity issue. So you go from haram to haram. Haram, it's, it's in haram in Mecca. It's in masjid and haram. So that's, wait, wait, like, wait a second, haram? Like it's the masjid, wait, it's the masjid that's haram? <laughs> like, wait, well, hold on, like, I thought haram was something you're not supposed to do. You have to think about the word. What does it mean? Right? Why is it the masjid and haram? What is the haram actually? You go to the hadith and the 40 hadith. Faisal had the 40 hadith. Go to the hadith and the 40 hadith about uh, the halal is clear and the haram is clear. Is it in that one? And then the man, the shepherd, the shepherd who has his flock, and he goes close to the boundaries of the king. He goes close to the haram of the king. So the, the haram is the place where you're not supposed to go. It's the sacred place. It's the place that has special... So the haram, the, the things that Allah has prohibited are his, his sacred in this, not sacred in the sense of it's holy or something, but this is like a place you don't touch. He gave you everything else, you don't go here. It has a special thing. Not in a good way, but in a bad way, like you don't go there. And the, the masjid al-haram is the place, it has a sanctity to it. Also it has prohibitions, right? Like in, in Mecca there's things you don't do. You don't like pull the trees out. You don't kill certain animals when you're in your ihram and stuff like that. There's rules to it. Ihram is what? Same word. Also haram. You put a, you put a, you went into a level of sanctity that prohibits you from doing certain things. Right? So all of these words are related. You go from haram to haram. Went from Mecca to Jerusalem as the moon goes through the sky. Yes. Yeah, so when you go into prayer, that first takbir, what is it called? Well, what is its name? Takbiratul Ihram. Or it's also called Takbiratul Like it's You're doing a takbir that makes everything other than salah haram for you now. Right? So you, you're, it's putting this line there. Um, we'll do... It's more of a protection. Yeah, it's not necessarily that it's stopping like, like stopping you from putting a line between you and other things. It's a protection in a sense. There's a similarity. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
hard time with the like was it a, was it a physical sort of transportation or was it mental teleportation or when you're saying it was like in the sky but like how does that happen? I, I don't know it's a very good question so the vast vast majority position is that it was an actual physical journey it's an actual physical journey not a dream there's like a handful of dream things is that a question okay Yeah, these are good questions. Yeah, a really, a really fast Pegasus. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an excellent question. There's nothing wrong with the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's many, many layers. Uh, the first layer is that in and of itself, to believe in God, to believe in revelation, is to believe in, in a sense, like, not, not a different set of rules, but that there are exceptions to the rules, right? I mean, to, to believe in heaven, to believe in hell, to believe in... Like they already are believing in the unseen in the first place. To, in order to, in the case of the people that already believe in the Prophet they already believe in the unseen in the first place. That being said, um, like all of these things are miraculous, right? Like for the Prophet to go to a cave and an angel to grab him and share some words with him and all of a sudden they're implanted in his chest and he doesn't forget them and he teaches them to people and um, you know they go through this and that and all these these all all of these things are miraculous in that sense so how do you come to believe in it um, so there's the more let's say there's the theoretical route and there's the practical route the practical route is that they saw the Prophet and they knew him and they trusted him, the people who believed in him. So, and then the other part of the practical route, I don't remember if it's in here or not, but it's in, uh, it's in the other work, is that there are, th- there are ways, so let's go back to the story. So the Prophet does this thing. Here's the info that we have, at least from our side of things. Oh, thank you. The Prophet goes on his journey. Nobody sees him go on the journey, right? Ostensibly speaking, nobody sees him go on the journey. It's in the middle of the night. He wakes up in the morning and he says, By the way, I went to Jerusalem last night and I went to heaven. The first response, I forget who it was who who he said that to first. They were like, Ya Rasulullah, please don't tell anyone. Because like these people, they're already giving you a hard time. They don't believe in you. You tell them this, they're really not going to believe in you, right? Like, they're not going to believe in it. And he's like, well, I don't really, that's not, like, that's not really the role of a prophet to be like, I experienced this thing, but I'm going to keep it to myself. I have to tell them. 
So there's something to that in the first place, by the, by the way, right? Uh, it's a totally... I don't want to say... To- I don't know if I should do this. Yes, I should. I should do it. We're not going to go into it, though. What is one of the things that they, al- they always say now when it comes to allegations of... Where are they? Allegations of, of abuse. I'll just keep it general. Allegations of abuse. We believe the victim, right? Why? Because most of the time when the victim says something, they don't have a whole lot to gain from it. Right? This is, this is what they say, right? Like, they don't have anything to gain. People are going to say things about them. People are going to do this. People are going to do that. So on and so forth. So, like, that should be something that we take into consideration when someone comes with some sort of information like that, right? So now you have this case of, again, it's, there's a similarity. The Prophet them doesn't have anything to gain with his people from telling them this. And so the person tells them, like, you're going to get, they're going to make fun of you. He's like, no, I have to tell them. So then he goes and uh, he tells them. Actually, one of the enemies of Islam, he tells him. And he tells him, oh, really? Can you come here and say that again? And like, he takes him to the Kaaba to say it in front of everyone. Because <laughs> he's like, this is going to be bad for him. I'm going to say it in front of everyone. So he says it, everyone's making fun of him and stuff. They go to Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Sayyidina Abu Bakr's position on this is one of the, it's one of the answers to this question. He tells him, they tell him, Can, you know, do you know what your friend is saying now? He said no. And they said he's saying that he went to Jerusalem last night. It's a journey that takes months. He went last night and he came back last night. And he went to heaven. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he said, I believe him about things that are more serious than that. I believe that God speaks to him and gives him revelation. If he said it, it's true. That was his response. If he said it, it's true. Why? Not because he's being like, uh, we have to, again, this is not like an irrational position that Abu Bakr is taking. Abu Bakr has seen enough of the Prophet to know that if he said this, it's true. There is an if there, if he said it, it's true, which is important, you know. Sometimes, like, things are attributed to the Prophet where you're like, mm, I don't know about that. The response is, if he said it, it's true. There's an if, but if he said it, it's true. So, that's, that's one response. The other thing that happened, people didn't believe the Prophet. So they said, describe for us what it looked like. There's people here, you've never been to Jerusalem. There's people here who have been to Jerusalem. Describe for us what the, what the compound looks like. The Prophet ﷺ described it in all of its detail. They were like, whoa. He said also, when I was passing, there's a, people, there's a caravan that's going to arrive in Medina like very soon. And this and this happened with them and so on. He told, like he saw things through that traveling the caravan that happened with them. I forget what the details were. But he said that this happened to them and this happened to them. When they come, you can ask them. And they came like very shortly afterwards. They asked the people. They said, yeah, that, that actually happened. How did you know that? Like you said this. Another caravan was further away. They're like, yeah, we, I saw him too. He gave some details. That there's no way he could have known it unless he actually saw it. So this is actually on a practical level. It's unbelievable. Except that he actually told them things that fortify that what he saw was true. So that's, that's one side of the explanation. The other side of the explanation to like how can this even happen in the first place <coughs> is, is the explanation from a more theoretical side. 
the more theoretical side of things is to ask the question of how do we know things in the first place? How do we know anything in the first place? Okay? The Muslim said that there are three major ways that we know things. This is a civilizational issue laid out in the field of Kalam. So, how do we know things in the first place? Three major possibilities. One possibility, we'll start with the one that's most familiar to everyone here. One possibility for how we know something is that through observation. It's basically the scientific method, right? So I see something, I observe it. This is called, uh, in, a, in, in the world of Islamic studies and stuff, this is an hukm al-adi. An hukm al-adi. The thing that repeats itself over and over again. There's an ada to it, it repeats itself. There's a, so you can observe it. And this is generally how Allah created the world, right? He created the world with, with patterns in it that we can observe. We observe that the night goes and the, we observe that normal human, normally human beings are not able to get on a horse, a pegasus, and go from Mecca to Jerusalem and back in the same night. It's not something that we've observed, right? That's normally how we would get information. This is number one. Number two way that we believe that we get information is through al-khabr uh, al-sadiq al-khabr al-sadiq which is a truthful report truthful report it's true that we don't we haven't actually observed everything we know right actually most things that we believe that we know we know based on a report that we believe to be true give it a strong one yeah okay we know it, we believe it based on a report that we think is true, right? So, you know, the earth is round, <laughs> or, <laughs> or uh, San Francisco is north of here. Like, did I actually figure out what directions really mean? And like, why is north north, and why is east east, and why is south south, and like really figure that out to know that China is this place over there and it has people that speak Chinese I didn't actually observe it myself there's a true report that came and I took this information this is in, in Revelation falls into this category usually it's called in hukum shari now, now you have a, a, a piece of information that's based on Revelation or scripture that comes from this true report you have to of course ascertain the truth of the report it's very important the third place that we get information is through al-hukm al-aqli, is through pure reason. Pure reason. Pure reason tells us, for example, and it's funny, this, the funny thing about this is that Americans are so not accustomed to this idea of pure reason that you give them something that's true based on pure reason and they try to wiggle out of it any way they possibly can and they have a difficulty understanding the certainty of the information because our minds are very convoluted uh, so you tell them for example we know by pure reason that the son is younger than the father they'll be like no what if the father they'll start giving you like weird <laughs> hypothetical scenarios right probably half of you just did that in your head they're like what about this case 
that's called metaphor. <laughs> like, but if the, you're using the word to mean what the word actually means, which again goes back to the issue of words, right? When you, when you just play around with definitions, nothing becomes definite anymore. Everything is all wishy-washy. So if a father is a father and a son is a son, meaning that the father is the parents of the son and the son you know, came from the father and so on and so forth, the son cannot be older than the father. It just cannot happen. You know this by pure reason. We, uh, the other one that we used in class, you, should, you might remember this one. All the students were going crazy. Can you have a square circle? They're like, yeah, you can have a square circle. Look, and they start trying to like draw. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we just, we'll just sit here forever until we die. And you show me the square circle, please. By definition, you cannot have a square circle. Okay. By definition, certain things are actually true. You can't. Like, if it, it's, it's proven by sound reason to be true, it's proven by sound reason to be true. Why does this matter? Okay. How does this relate to this whole conversation? It relates to the whole conversation because, and we're not going to do it right now, you go to Ustad Fuad for these things. He's the specialist. Okay. Go to him for this conversation if you want it in more detail. I'm not the person to have it with. I like law. I'm not a theology person. This is a theology conversation. Alhamdulillah, 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 we are blessed in the majlis to actually have a theology person. I don't think people in the Muslim community understand how rare this is. Nobody does theology. In the last 20 years, nobody does theology. All they do is law, and they don't even do it the right way. They just do it like half. And then nobody does theology. Why? Because we were taught by some movement from some place that theology is an innovation and we just need to believe that God is God. So like forget all of Elman Kanam, Muslim theology. Forget all of it. All the proofs for why God exists and why we believe what we believe and why the prophets are true and how to engage with other intellectual traditions. Forget all of it because God just exists. And so this is where all this conversation happens is in that field, Sustad Fuad's domain. But what is the thing that you come to in, when you go through the steps of pure reason? You come to the issue that there has to be a creator. That creator has to be free from the limitations of, we'll just use he, because that's what he used, uh, his creation. Because otherwise he would be in need. If he was in need, then he would need something to support him, and he would no longer be a creator, and there would be go you'd be going back forever. It's called infinite regress. Tasalsun. Okay? So what does that get you to? What does it get us to is the point. If we believe in a creator who created everything, then we believe that, that for example, me not flying is hukum adi and not hukum aqli. It's a very, very important distinction. So the, the rule of the intellect is the one that tells us God exists and God has to have certain qualities. Or attributes, we should say, not qualities. has to have certain attributes. And it is also the mind that tells me, related to that, that these things that I see are observational. They're not necessary in and of themselves. So it's not necessary by the ruling of the mind that human beings cannot fly. It is just what we've observed. It's what we've observed. This is the world. It's, not, it's what we've observed from the world is that a tree does not uproot itself and walk to a human being. Right? I don't like, I would not expect right now 
if we all sat here and we were like, you tree, salamu alaikum, come to us right now and bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. I'm not expecting the tree to do it. It could. If it did it, we would believe in it, right? The people who were with the Prophet ﷺ, they saw that. They saw a tree uproot itself from the ground. By a true report, goes to the other side, right? By a true report, they saw the tree uproot itself, walk to the Prophet ﷺ. Is that something that's like really hard to believe, right? It's really hard to believe if I don't have this distinction. Western civilization doesn't have this distinction anymore. The distinction between the rule of the pure intellect and the rule of observation. The rule of observation tells me the tree can't walk. The rule of the intellect tells me if Allah wants to make the tree walk, He makes the tree walk. And we have countless reports from the life of the Prophet of such miraculous things. To your question, there are people who didn't believe it. Right? Even with all those reasons, even with like the report about the caravan and this and this and this and this, they're like, no, I can't. I can't get with a guy traveling to, <laughs> to another place in the middle of the night. Like, it just doesn't. But some of those people still, it took them time. Years later, years later, years later, the Prophet conquers Mecca, then they accepted it. Right? So sometimes they had to see more and more things before they could actually believe it. Uh, there are miraculous things that happen still up to today. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't see them because we don't really believe in them. Or we don't really want to see them. Or we're just not accustomed to. Or whatever else it might be. Um... So that's all I have on that question. The actual answer to your question is if I lived in the time of the Prophet and I was just like a regular person and he came back and he said that he did that, wouldn't that be hard to believe? Seems likely probably for me. Yeah. Without any sort of, yeah. Because you don't have any reason to believe it, right? But if you had other reasons, maybe like someone came to you and they were like, I don't know, there's other miracles from the Prophet, like when when they had one bowl of food and then like people would come in, they feed them the food, they leave. People come in, they feed them the food, they leave. And stuff like that. I've actually heard this from a number of people where like they cooked a certain amount of food and way more people showed up and all the people ate and it was no problem. And you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't have any reason to disbelieve you on that. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Me personally, I'm, I'm like born and bred in this system, right? Like I'm skeptic by nature. It's very difficult. Like uh, people who are born Muslim too, sometimes like you're used to belief in stuff. I was not born Muslim. My default is to not believe. Right? Like that's my, my, the default of my upbringing is skepticism. It's do not believe. So like it's, it's, it's a lot of like, okay, I have to really think about this. Even these issues that I brought up today about theology and stuff, 
I had to sit with like these things in theology for years before they actually made sense to me. And it's not even that much. It's like one lesson, right? But it's like, I can't, it just won't go in. <laughs> like I can't really, it's having, I'm having a hard time with it. I don't think it's still gone in. But, you know, I think I have good reason to believe that it's true, even if it's difficult, to be, difficult at times to believe. I don't know if I overdid it. I hope there was some sort of benefit in that. If there wasn't, at least I lost my voice a little bit. That means I'll be able to talk less for a few days, inshallah. <coughs> and we were supposed to finish this section today. We have five minutes. وَبِتَّ تَرْقَى إِلَىٰ أَنْ نِلْتَ مَنْزِلَةً مِنْ قَابِ قَوْسَيْنِ لَمْ تُدْرَكْ وَلَمْ تُرَمِي That night you ascended till you reached a station of two bows length, one never attained or hoped for. This is a mention in Surah An-Najm. Surah An-Najm. Uh, we don't need to get into it. It's part of the story. If you want to review the story, you can review the story in the books of Sirah and you can look at the lecture that we said before. وَقَدَّمَتْكَ جَمِيعُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ بِهَا وَالرُّسْلِ تَقْدِيمَ مَخْدُومٍ عَلَىٰ خَدَمِي There all the prophets and emissaries gave you precedence as a master is given precedence by those who serve him. So the point here is that the Prophet ﷺ when he came to Jerusalem, uh, other prophets were there. And he was pushed forward in some narrations by Jibreel himself to lead the prayer. Very interesting point is that the Prophet did not put himself forward to lead the prayer. Can you believe that? The Prophet himself did not put himself forward to lead the prayer. There's other Prophets, there's the Prophet. The prayer gets called, he didn't like say, I'm I have more right to lead the prayer over them. He didn't. He was just like the prayer was called, he was waiting. <laughs> Jibreel was like, You need to lead the prayer. Think, of it, think about it, it's very important. It's a worldview issue. It's a worldview issue. How we deal with leadership in the Muslim community is, in vast majority of cases, extremely contrary actually to our worldview. It's not like, look at me, I'm the best, I should hold this position, I made the best flyer, I, I advertised, you know, I, I used the Facebook ads the most strategically to build my following, and now I should lead. It has nothing to do with it. If someone acts like, acts like that, in the vast majority of cases, the proper response is, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ The Prophet himself didn't put himself to lead. Are there exceptions to this? Yes, there are exceptions to this. Okay, there can be exceptions. It's not that like, everything, usually there's exceptions. Sometimes it's important to say it. Like for example, in some schools of law, the Shafi'i school in particular is very strict on Surah Al-Fatiha and prayer. If you know how to read Fatiha properly and the Imam doesn't and you pray behind the Imam and he reads Fatiha wrong, your Salah didn't count. So do you kind of need to like make it clear? Like, we're supposed to know these things. You're supposed to know. This person knows a little bit more. This person knows a little. It's not like a discrimination thing. It's, a it's the other word of discrimination. To discriminate, right? To like distinguish one thing from another <laughs> you're discriminating who should be who has the capacity to lead and who doesn't but anyways the Prophet didn't put himself forward 
وأنت تخترق السبعة تباق بهم في موكب كنت فيه صاحب عالمي. You traversed the seven heavens with them in a procession wherein you were the standard bearer. Prophet, the imagery, the imagery in these lines is very powerful. So he's saying the Prophet ﷺ is like leading this procession through the heavens. Until your proximity left no space for the avid seeker, nor any higher summit for one seeking elevation. The Prophet ﷺ gets the low tree of the utmost uh, limit, right? Sidratul Muntaha. He gets to that limit, nothing can go beyond that limit. Other than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself. خَفَضْتَ كُلَّ مَقَامٍ بِالْإِضَافَةِ إِذْ نُدِيتَ بِالْرَفْعِ مِثْلَ الْمُفْرَدِ الْعَلَمِي This line makes no, it's very difficult to make sense of it if you don't understand Arabic really well. If you study Nahu, it's a beautiful line. Daylan, I don't know if you got this one. خَفَضْتَ كُلَّ مَقَامٍ بِالْإِضَافَةِ إِذْ نُدِيتَ بِالْرَفْعِ مِثْلَ الْمُفْرَدِ الْعَلَمِي Like the whole thing is wordplay. You surpassed all other stations in comparison when acclaimed on high as the matchless and eminent. Makes sense, like, you're like, okay, it's a nice meaning. But the wordplay on it in the, in the Nahu is, is unbelievable. Like, khaft is used for, it's a station, it's a, it's a, if I try to explain this, it's not going to work. Kaymat tafuza bi waslin ayyi mustatirin anin uyuni wasirin ayyi muktatimi. So that you might triumph through a tryst hidden from sight. How hidden a secret that was. I mean, this, the, the Prophet ﷺ was given the greatest honor through something that was completely secret between him and Allah. Like the actual reality of what happened between him and Allah in that conversation is completely secret between him and Allah. We know some of the conclusions, right? That we have prayer and so on and so forth. But the actual experience is only between him and his Lord. And experience is something that, similar to the poetry, similar to the imagery, experience is something that when you, it's like what, what always happens when you ask people how, someone goes to Hajj. Yeah, Samo, you went to Hajj, how was it? What do they always do? They're like, uh, mm, I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, it was good, but I can't explain to you, you have to experience it. You have to experience it. Experience is really important. Every field of life, experience is really important. Right? This is why one of the big problems of our current time right now, it's really disturbing, is the reality of everyone graduating college and they immediately want to start their own thing. I'm now the expert in this. I have my own thing. And, you know, come to me. You haven't even had a job yet. Like, you... Your parents supported you through high school and through college and you went to college and you just got your degree and now I'm supposed to just come to you? You don't you haven't even had like you haven't done anything. And I'm gonna go to you? It's crazy when you think about it. Just because like you did the right marketing thing online. It's it's really disturbing, subhanAllah. Like you have to actually get experience. It's not the same. Uh, all of the medical professions, there's a reason why you have Residencies and stuff. <laughs> I can imagine if someone just graduated medical school <laughs> and they, they open up their office <laughs> and they're like, Come on in. A surgeon, maybe they're a surgeon. They're a surgeon. Come on in. I just finished my medical program in surgery. I just, you know, I read all the books. <laughs> <laughs> K 
can you be a vet first? Like, <laughs> go experiment on someone else. And actually, this is one of the big problems, too, in the Muslim community and our system. Our system is what? Someone goes and they study the religion and they want to work in the community. What do they do? They get a job as an imam. I did it, right? It's a bad system. I came back. I went and I studied. I came back. I got a job as an imam in a major institution. This is a fitna. I mean, I want you to think about it. Someone's 29 years old. They come back from studying. They don't have any experience. They don't have any training. They don't have any hands-on anything. You put them in charge of 5,000 people. These, the lives of 5,000 people are in this person's hands now. Think about it. It's a bad system. But where else is the person going to go to get work? They have no choice other than to become the imam of somewhere. There's no internships. There's no training. I mean, the imam himself, probably most of the time, it's not financially sufficient. Just put it that way. Now you're going to make them an intern? Actually, I had one intern offer. I had one masjid. They gave me an intern offer. Well, do you remember what they offered us in terms of money? I think it was like $20,000 or something. I was like, in, one, in, a, in an area of the country that's more expensive than Southern California. Are you going to give me $20,000 to live with a family? Like, what am I going to do? Sell watches in Hussein until I become a scholar? That's, <laughs> that's, what this, that's what people used to do. SubhanAllah. One of our teachers, he lived in the street. He sold watches in, 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 in Hussein, in the, in the souk, like the marketplace around Al-Azhar, so that he could survive. He was homeless. He lived and sold watches. Right? This is what it has to be? No, let's put them in charge. We, we have a better solution. Put them in charge of 5,000 people. Let all of the decisions of their life be in this person's hands. It's scary, man. SubhanAllah. So you received every glory without rival and gained every station alone, unbeset. The Prophet had the highest level. How glorious is the worth of ranks you were given. How difficult it is to grasp the graces conferred. Again, it's something like he has now something from Allah that you cannot explain. It cannot be explained. And this is, you know, Ibrahim ibn Adham radiallahu anhu, he said, لَوْ يَعْلَمَ الْمُلُوكَ الْمُلُوكُ وَأَبْنَاءُ الْمُلُوكُ مَا نَحْنُ فِيهِ مِنَ النَّعِيمِ he said that if the kings and the sons of kings knew the joy that we live in, they would come after us with their swords. But they can't know it because it's inside, right? It's inside. They don't know it. It's hidden from them. Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, He said, in this world, there's a Jannah, there's a paradise. The person who doesn't enter it, they don't enter into the paradise of the next life. Where is that paradise? It's not in like, you know, the garden you make in your yard. It's, it's in here. Like there's something the person experiences in their life that is like the, it's a glimpse of paradise. Only two more lines. Bushra lana ma'ashur al-Islam. Beautiful lines. Beautiful lines. Bushra lana ma'ashur al-Islam. Inna lana min al-inayati ruknan ghayra munhadimi. He said, Glad tidings for us, O people of Islam. For we have an indestructible pillar of divine care. Like we have this Prophet. And this is also like where you give yourself the pep talk, right? 
if you know the life of the Prophet you can give yourself the pep talk we have the Prophet that did this and 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 the Prophet that did this not out of arrogance out of like thank you Allah to make us an Ummah that has this Prophet when Allah named the one who called us to obey him the noblest of emissaries we became the noblest of nations so when Allah called the Prophet the noblest of messengers then the followers of the Prophet became Akram al-Umami They became the noblest of people If, 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 if The nisbah is sound If the nisbah is sound Meaning the attribution Right? If the attribution is sound Then we are the most noble of nations If the attribution is not sound You're not the noblest it's not like an automatic thing, right? It's not like just because I said I believe in the Prophet, I automatically am from the Prophet's people. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's not. If you, <coughs> we have something that connects us to the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right? We have something that connects us, generation upon generation upon generation. People believed in other prophets They believed in Allah They passed down this knowledge This knowledge that we have Is the lifeline between us and the prophets And the action upon that knowledge Is the lifeline between us and the prophet And depending on what we do We can cut it Right? Like if someone goes and says We're doing this for the sake of Islam And for the prophet And we're bringing back slavery and concubinage no, you're just an idiot And you're just a shaitan And you have no connection to the Prophet And he is bari from you Someone comes and they say You know, we're doing this This act of extremism, this act of terrorism No, you have nothing to do with the Prophet There's no The line that connected you to him Has been severed, it's cut So when He is, he is Akram al-Rusli Whether or not we are Akram al-Umami whether we are honorable people Whether we are the most honorable nation It depends on whether or not that connection still remains Right So we have to be uh, Sensitive to that Wallahu alam Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa We finish that chapter Alhamdulillah